Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. If you are a guest here this morning, I just wanted to be uh, sure to welcome you. It is really our pleasure and our privilege to host you here this morning. Hopefully, I'm not the first person to welcome you, but thanks for being here this morning. Hey, my name is Eric King. I've met many of you, maybe some of you we haven't met yet, but I am uh, kind of new here, been here a couple of months, but uh, I serve here as the executive pastor. So it's my privilege to, uh, yeah, be able to bring God's word, continue our Psalms in the summer series. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, as I get a little bit older, I'm not old yet, I'm not confessing of being old, although my uh, lady cutting my hair yesterday or asked if I was retired. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment. I didn't know how to take that. But I don't don't know about you, as I've gotten older, like the steps that I take become more important, especially when I jump on a hiking trail nearby, right, where there's rocky and unsteady ground. It seems to me like now those steps have to be much more and more sure, right? Because falling is not nearly as fun as it used to be. Who's with me? Who likes to fall in the room, right? Like it's not really that fun. Like sure, Footing is pretty important. Uh, I lived for many years down in the Gulf Coast of Florida. I had the privilege or opportunity to uh, kind of endure some hurricanes. And hurricanes are a pretty big deal. Uh, they're not very fun to live through. Even dodged a few tornadoes. But I would say probably the most unsettling like nature event I've ever, ever experienced was after living in Richmond, Virginia for about two months. This was our welcome to Virginia. I'm sitting in my office. And uh, just doing my work, and all of a sudden I hear this sound that sounds like a bulldozer going down Monument Avenue just outside my window. And I'm like, that's weird. So I look out my window, and there's no bulldozers. Well, by the time I got to my window, the sound sounded much more like a regiment of tanks. I'm like, what is going on? All of a sudden the building began to shake. Like, the, it was rattling, and the power went off. And I'm like, what? Am I in an earthquake? And all of a sudden, I was just kind of in a panic mode. The ground beneath my feet was shaking. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to climb under my desk. I didn't know whether to go outside. But I know the deepest thing in my heart was to find something that wasn't shaking. Anybody ever been to a, through a, uh, an earthquake? Now, the earthquake we went through in California, they just call that Tuesday, but it was a pretty big deal to me, and uh, it really was an unsettling event for me. You know, sometimes, I would say maybe oftentimes, We kind of find ourselves in that situation in life where everything that we know is changing. Everything that we find confidence in is shaking. And maybe our world becomes overturned. overturned. These are times where we struggle with belief, right? Like everything that we think is true or solid, we begin to question and wonder. Uncertainty, sometimes this comes from just disappointment, maybe from heartache or experiencing the emptiness of chasing lies that we so quickly pursue. I don't know about you, but when I'm disoriented, I really begin to uh, lose some of my belief and my faith in God, and it begins to rob me of joy. As we've been reading through the book of Psalms together, we've seen David going through highs and lows in his own life, and a lot of lows he represents in the book of Psalms. That's what I love about that book is because it's real and it talks about real life, and we've seen where David's faith has been shaken both by Real circumstances that, that were a big deal and it, and it would cause you to be shaken, but also through times of his own personal sin. Today, we join David in a, in a 
one of those hard times in his life. David, uh, who was king of Israel, uh, being king, I understand, is a pretty, pretty good thing, right? And so he was king, and his own son, and you can read about this in Second uh, Samuel chapter 2, his own son began to like to devise a plan to overthrow his own father and take over the throne. So for a couple of years, he's creating this plan to overthrow David. And David hears about this plan. And you can imagine the heartache of having your own son not only not like you, right? Like That's a big deal. But not only not liking you, but desiring to kill you. And this is the situation we find David in. And David is having to flee his throne, his palace. And not because of a foreign enemy, but because of his own son who's seeking to take his life. Can you imagine being in David's shoes? It's so easy for us to read passages in Scripture and kind of become disconnected because that was a couple of thousand years ago, right? But put yourself in his shoes. He was king. He loved his son. He loved his son absolutely. We know this because he said he did, and he grieves over his son, but he also is running for his life. For me... I love hearing advice and counsel, but it always means much more hearing from someone who has been through difficult times, right? Seeing someone who lives their faith out in times where it's not easy. That's what we're going to see here from David today. Today we hear from David out of his own personal experience. And what I took from this that is that he's, he would tell us today that we can pursue and find faith and joy in God even in the hardest of times of uncertainty, crisis, and disappointment. So with David's circumstance in mind, it says that he is in the wilderness of Judea. So this is a, a literal wilderness of, of desert country, no water, no, no shade. Uh, it is destitute. But think about where he is emotionally and spiritually. Like he is running from his son. He is in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. And this is where he writes Psalm 63. So we're going to be in Psalm 63 together. Thank you, Taylor, for reading that with, uh, for us this morning. So I want you to look at where David starts. Uh, he starts with a profession, a simple profession. He says, oh, God. What a simple statement that's so easy for us to really just to kind of ignore and try to get into the rest of the content of this psalm, right? But he starts with, oh, God. I don't know about you. Have you ever been lost and you kind of have that moment of panic and you're desperately looking for something that looks familiar so you can kind of reorient your life. Like, I don't even know where I am. Or it's like being in, in the Gulf. I know many of you vacation in the Gulf. I, I lived in Pensacola for many years. And, and being in the Gulf can be dangerous. And there's times where you get disoriented and you're just grasping for something so that you don't go underwater, right, and drown. And so there's this, uh, there's this reality of when we're disoriented, we're lost, we're grasping for something. And, and David grasps. But he grasps here for a profession. He professes that there is a God. In a time where his life has been overturned, his life is shaken, he starts with profession that there is a God. A God who we understand in his writings, David's writings, that this is a God who is sovereign, he's holy, he's powerful, and he's glorious. A God who is above all things, above all circumstances, who is unwavering and changing. And in, in, our un, in our wavering and our changing world, it's good to be able to grasp to a God who is unwavering and unchanging. A God who is worthy of both our acknowledgement but also submission. David acknowledges here that there is a God. In the midst of turmoil and uncertainty, grasp to the truth that there is a God. But that's, that's not where David stops, right? He goes on to say, God 
What? You are my God. So this isn't a distant, unknown God. This isn't a distant being who is all-powerful. This is a God that David says, He is my God. I know most of us in the room today would probably profess that there is a God. I don't think you would be in church today. Maybe you are. Maybe you're struggling with, is there a God? But most of us would profess, yeah, we believe that there is a God, but so often we live our life as if he he doesn't exist. We become self-sufficient, self-indulgent, and self-righteous. And we seek to live a life that, that acknowledges there is a God, but he really doesn't interact with our daily lives. I would say that from the beginning, this has kind of been a plot of the evil one to continuously strive to deceive us like we don't need God and he undermines the evil one undermines our faith and belief in the goodness and worth of God and so we live life that acknowledges yes there is a God but is he my personal God while David is fighting for joy in these circumstances he's definitely wanting some certainty and stability he professes that there is a God And he remembers the covenant David gives to his people. If you remember, God said, if if you'll be my people and I will be your God, David, David claims on that promise that God would be his God. What would give David the assurance of this? It seems kind of cocky, right? Like, God, you're my God. Like, can you say that today? Like, what would give the confidence to David to be able to say that? It reminded me of a passage in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 says, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, hostile, and separated in your mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, through Christ... We're able to say that God is my God because through Christ we are considered blameless and holy. We're no longer hostile and separated from God. We can say God is my God. Is this your profession this morning? Do you believe that there is a God who is worthy of worship? Can you say this morning that he is your God? David grasped hold of the only truth that he can think of in his life that is totally turned over and he claims God You are my God. But then he continues on. The rest of the verse here, it says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's interesting uh, what we crave at times, right? Like we have this whole category of food called what? Comfort food? It's food that supposedly brings us comfort either when we're stressed, we're, we're dealing with anxiety. Growing up, uh, we used to camp at the lake. We also had a, a pool, so when we would hang out near the water, for some reason we would have ham and cheese sandwiches, sour cream, and onion chips, and Pepsi. Why Pepsi? I don't know. Uh, but to this day, my wife will tell you, when I'm at the beach or I'm at the pool, guess what I crave? Ham and cheese sandwich, sour cream, and onion chips. It has evolved to Pringles. Uh, from Lay's, like Lay's, nothing wrong with Lay's. If you work for Lay's, we love you. Uh, but Pringles has become kind of my uh, fix for that, and also Pepsi, when normally I would crave Coke. But our body craves, in these times of, of struggle or anxiety, we have cravings. It leads to like substance abuse, right? Or seeking out harmful behaviors. We're trying to fulfill this longing and desire in our heart. And David, in this 
time of running from his very son, what does he crave? What does he long for? You know, as I was thinking through this, uh, two questions that came to mind that kind of like, what if I was in David's place, like what, what would that be like? And, and, it, and the questions that came to mind is like, what most easily takes away my joy? What most easily erodes my faith? Because probably those things are the things that I most treasure, right? So if I'm disappointed in life, what are the things that disappoint me? Those are the things that I most likely treasure most in my heart. You can ask the opposite question of what are those things that I turn to in the times of disappointment and anxiety and stress? Those also are the things that we most likely treasure in our hearts, the things that cause us to lose our faith and the things that we turn to for our faith. Those are the treasures of our heart. David had the opportunity here to long for a lot of things. I mean, he was king, right? He lived in a palace. So he could have said, I long for the comfort of the palace. I long for the food of the palace. I long for the safety. I long for the influence, the power. I could say, do this, and people would do it, right? He, he had freedom. He had the choice to do, use his time and for leisure, for whatever he desired. He could have longed for the things of the palace, Think of the relationships that had been broken. People had taken sides against him or for him. He could have longed for a lot of things, but he says here that I long for God. See, David had come to a place where he was longing for much more than the things that he had learned no longer brought satisfaction, and he longed for God himself. It's as if he had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We see this in other Psalms that he's written, Psalms 42, verse One and two, it says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? Psalm 63, one, it says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Psalm 84, two, he says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out. For the living God. Somehow David had disciplined himself in these times of difficulty to not turn things that don't satisfy, that leave us empty. He turns to God himself. And I have to wonder, like, is this just a circumstantial response that David had? And I would think it probably isn't, that this had become a pattern and a rhythm of his life, turning to God for his satisfaction and fulfillment. It was his normal pattern of life. So when he hit the hard time, it was default mode. Those things for which we long for are the things in which we place our faith and trust to make our lives better. Hopeful that they will return our joy and stability. But we all really know the truth. As St. Augustine tells us, he says that the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself, who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. So what do you long for this morning? What does your heart crave not the Sunday school answer, right? Like we know, like, oh God, of course. Like, but what in those moments does your heart turn to in, when your heart, when your life is overturned? To whom do you turn or to what do you turn for satisfaction for your soul? David models here for us that he professes truth and then he longs for God, right? So that we have the profession, the longing, then we continue on. We see that David remembers. Verse 2, it says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. That, that 
idea of looked, the word there means or has this idea of I have looked with my eyes and I have understood with my mind. It's this, I see, I see it and I get it. It's this idea that David had circumstances where he had seen God at work and he understood the glory and the power of God. He had seen God bless him. He had seen the, the power of God and he perceived it. He was able to take it in. Are there times in your life where you've seen God work in your life? Where you can say, that was God. God did that. God blessed me. God led me. God directed me. He cared for me. Let those moments, like David, be places of remembrance. That when times are uncertain, you remember, I have seen God. And I understand that that was him at work. But it doesn't stop there. He says, beholding your power in glory. This idea of beholding is this is a concept of like looking, but there's way too much to take in. Like I'm going to have to sit here a while. It's like the uh, several years ago we had the opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon, and we had planned one day. Big mistake. So we decided to plan the second day, right? And the reality is the Grand Canyon is so grand, you just can't take it in in one day, in two days. It's you sit and you behold. You look. But you're striving, you're trying to take it all in. David says, yes, I have seen God and I understand his glory and his might, but I behold him, I seek to know him more. He's more than I can take in, both in this lifetime and for eternity. We, I don't know, maybe we're too busy. I think sometimes we do the the seeing part pretty well. We can reflect back. And say, yes, I've seen God at work. This idea of beholding, I don't know about you, but it takes time, right? Like, we have to pause. Uh, I love to behold, and my family will say this, like, when I'm outdoors, I'll sit and stare. Uh, it's kind of like Paladino who likes to stare at trees. I like, uh, by the way, he says that. That's what he likes to do in his pastime. You can hit him up on that. But I love to take in nature because it's so much to take in it as the creation from God And that should be our posture as we pursue to know God more. We set time aside to behold God. So David's profession, longing and remembering, leads him to a response. Verses 3 through 5, it says, Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. As David grounds himself in profession of truth of God, and he longs, has this craving for God, and he remembers the goodness and the glory and might of God, it causes him to respond in adoration to God. We see him here praising with his lips Lifting his hands in posture of submission and acknowledgement of God's goodness. Finding complete satisfaction in God. And I love this verse. It says that he satisfies me not just with like a, 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 a you know, ham and cheese sandwich, right? Like, but with rich and fat food. That was the, that was the, 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 the recipe. That was what the king ate. The menu for the king was rich and fat. It was the best of the best. Kind of like rights, barbecue. Uh, burnt ends, right? That's what came to mind. I mean, like, those are like, David must have gone and gotten some burnt ends from rights. 
That is what he's saying is God is more than just satisfaction. It speaks to that cup overflowing that we heard last week, that it's God lavishes his goodness. David is led to worship. When he remembers the goodness of God, he has this longing in his heart. What an amazing image here. You think about David in the wilderness. There's an image here of David having his own worship experience in the very heart of his life crisis. The circumstances is not what caused this worshipful moment. It wasn't that he was with the congregation that he liked to talk about. It wasn't that he was at the, at the temple before the presence of God. He's in the wilderness running for his very life. But he remembers God. He beholds his glory in his mind. He's led to respond and worship. We, we, we read on here, and David, not only does he profess, we see him long, he's remembering, and he's responding in praise and worship, but it seems as if he acknowledges that this posture, this experience of faith is fleeting. It's like he understands that there's a battle for his faith. There's a battle for his joy. He knows because we see the next verses following. It says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. And this is where I get that idea of there must be a battle because he says, my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. David uses this word here, clings, on purpose. It's as if there's this need to hold tight. The idea of this raging current that's going against him and he has to hang on to his faith. It calls to mind an image of holding tight onto a life preserver in the midst of a raging flood around him. David knows that if he doesn't hang on to the truth, if he doesn't remember the goodness and the glory of God and he doesn't long for God, that, that this raging current's going to pull him away and he's going to default back to disappointment, a lack of faith. We too soon forget, and I think in kind of our easy lives, that around us is waging a war. The Bible tells us that, that there are, are spiritual forces that are working to erode our faith, to rob us of our joy. It says that we wrestle not with flesh and bones, but against spiritual forces. And these forces, are, they're determined. Like they're intentionally trying to erode your faith and rob your joy. They're skilled. They're good at it. Deceit is the, the, the tool of the day. And there is this desire to passionately pursue your faith and to, to cause you to question the goodness and the glory of God. I love how David shares some practical thoughts here as he talks about clinging. First, he remembers God when he goes to bed. What's the last thing you think about when you go to bed? What about if you're awake in the middle of the night? He talks about, I meditate on God throughout the watches of the night. He meditates on God. As I think of that word meditate, it reflect, it makes me think back to the word beholding, right? Like this idea of God is way more than I can comprehend. So I must meditate on him. This, to me, sounds like a much deeper pursuit of God than what many of us partake in kind of micro-devotions. David has this deep pursuit to know God and to know more 
of God. The battle for our faith, for our joy, our satisfaction, it's a daily battle. It's not something we, like, we arrive and we move on. It's a daily pursuit. David uses the word clean here. It's a daily clinging. A mediocrity, passivity, it leads to an anemic, powerless faith. I actually believe the climax of this passage are the last few verses. Here we see David from professing truth, grabbing hold of something that he knows. He's longing, has this deep desire to know God, and he remembers and and ponders and meditates on the goodness of God. He's praising. But what does it lead to? What is the fruit of all of these things? The last few verses here, it says, Verses 9 through 11, it says, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see the words here, shall, will, Right? David has faith in God. David believes that God is able and willing to do what David needs. David has full confidence in God. You know, when I'm going through hard times, I'm going through difficult times, I would want to ask David, like, David, what takes you to the place at the end of this passage that would give you this confidence that you say God will and God shall? What is it that leads you to this deep faith? And as we reflect back on this passage, I think he gives us an amazing model that we can learn from David who has been through the hard times, who is literally struggling with his life, fighting for his life. He professes, he grounds himself deep in the truth that there is a God. Right? Like he grabs hold of something that is sure and steady. It's not shaking, it's true. He can grab hold. There is a God that is a personal and knowable God. He leans into the craving desire to know God more. He longs for God in a dry and thirsty land. But then he remembers. He remembers having seen God do amazing work. He's seen the glory and power of God, but it leads him to want more and to behold his goodness. Then he responds. This experience causes him to praise God with his mouth, to bless God but he knows he's got to hang on. We have to cling to our faith. Once again, this is an ongoing pursuit to find joy and faith in God. And then we must believe we have to put our faith in God that he can and will and is able. So this morning, where are you in your faith journey? Are you settled, kind of feeling content? Maybe you're in a good time in your life and you know there's a God, but... You just kind of go out throughout your day as if God is there when needed, but maybe he's not interacting with you daily. Or maybe you're in a time where your world's been overturned, you're disappointed, you're struggling for faith. It's kind of like the verse that says, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that that verse is in the Bible. I believe, but help my unbelief. Are you going through the motions today? Just a few questions that I would just ask you to think about as we transition uh, together this morning. 
Are you living in the acknowledgement of a sovereign creator God? Is that truth impacting your life today? Is this God your God? Do you know him? Does he know you? Has there been a time where you've given your life to Christ? You've confessed your sin to him and, and received him as Lord of your life? Maybe you're in a place where you're seeking for fulfillment, joy, and satisfaction. So the question is, to whom or what are you turning this morning for fulfillment? Maybe you need to reflect and remember the goodness of God. So how is God worthy of praise today in your life? Are you actively clinging to your relationship with God, or are you passively coasting? Or maybe you're in a place where you are in deep rejoicement. You've seen God work. You have deep faith, and you are satisfied. That's the place God wants you today. He wants you to be satisfied in him, as in rich and fat food that brings a smile to your face and a delight to your heart. That's where God wants you here this morning. God, would you help us find our hope, find our joy, and find our very stability in you today. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.